loving Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us the privilege of life. We do not deserve it at all. We know that it is in your loving mercy and kindness that you have given us this life. We say may all praise, honor, glory and adoration be unto your holy name now and forevermore. Dear Lord, in the spirit of reciprocity, we want that our lives may be a glory and a praise to your name. We want our lives to be fashioned according to the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And for this we pray, Lord, that as we fellowship with you now, that a step will be taken in that direction. Grant to us the gift of your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to rightly divide the word of truth. Put your words in my mouth, dear Lord, and give me the ability to speak that which your children will be blessed by. I ask, Father, that in the end we all shall be fashioned into the image of Jesus. Do this and take the glory in Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, December 9 Mark and Demas Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 Among Paul's assistants at Rome were many of his former companions and fellow workers. Look. The beloved physician was with him still. Demas and Mark were also with him. Since the earlier years of his profession of faith, Mark's Christian experience had deepened. As he had studied more closely the life and death of Christ, he had obtained clearer views of the Savior's mission, its toils and conflicts. Reading in the scars in Christ's hands and feet the marks of his service for humanity, and the length to which self-abnegation leads to save the lost and perishing, Mark had become willing to follow the Master in the path of self-sacrifice. Now, sharing the lot of Paul the prisoner, he understood better than ever before that it is infinite gain to win Christ, infinite loss to win the world and lose the soul for whose redemption the blood of Christ was shed. In the face of severe trial and adversity, Mark continued steadfast, a wise and beloved helper of the Apostle. Demas, steadfast for a time, afterward forsook the cause of Christ. In referring to this, Paul wrote, Demas had forsaken me, having loved this present world. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10 For worldly gain, Demas bartered every high and noble consideration. How short-sighted the exchange! Possessing only worldly wealth or honor, Demas was poor indeed, however much he might proudly call his own. While Mark, choosing to suffer for Christ's sake, possessed eternal riches, being accounted in heaven and heir of God and a joint heir with his son. If we would permit our minds to dwell more upon Christ and the heavenly world 
we should find a powerful stimulus and support in fighting the battles of the Lord. Pride and love of the world will lose their power as we contemplate the glories of that better land so soon to be our home. Besides the loveliness of Christ, all earthly attractions will seem of little worth. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Mark and Demas. We left off looking at Mark and how because of affliction, Mark couldn't bear to be a missionary. He was intimidated by the affliction and we looked at how some of us we are intimidated both by affliction, persecution, also we are intimidated by the knowledge and the strength of resistance of our fellow laborers and we feel that this work is not for us and we run away from the work. But praise God for Mark that later on Barnabas took him up and trained him and he began to walk in the way of the Lord. Mark and Demas is the title of our devotion but I would like to remind us then again of Mark if you are intimidated by the prospect of the affliction, of the suffering, of the persecution that you are going to face or that you are already facing while following Christ. Hold on. You may feel that you don't have the qualities necessary to bear such affliction. But consider the cross, consider the death of Jesus and realize that if Christ could go to such lengths for us, then it is no great thing for us to suffer for him. The disciple is not above his master. If he suffered for us, we also will suffer for him. And we should consider it a great privilege to do that because we are drinking of the cup of our Lord. The highest honor that can be given to a servant is to take of that which his master takes, to eat his master's own food, to drink his master's own drink from the same cup that his master uses. It is an, it's a privilege that the master gives to his servant. You have to be worthy to take your master's cup and drink of it. And let us see persecution and affliction from that perspective. That it is Christ elevating us to the same level as himself. To come, like he said, to the same level. Well, the disciple cannot be above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, so says Jesus. And how do we be like our master? It is by Jesus permitting us to partake of his sufferings. Fellowship with Christ in his sufferings is the greatest honor that Jesus can give to us. For in so doing, he honors us with the cup that he drinks of. Before we can sit on the throne that he's, gonna, that he's sitting on, we must drink of his cup. It is an honor to do both. We should not be very eager to sit on his throne, but yet we are not eager to drink of the cup that our master drinks. If you must sit on the throne of our master like he has promised us that we will do, then we should not be afraid to drink of the cup. So whoever you are out there that you see the Lord calling you to a kind of work, whether it is just to keep his commandments which will come with his own persecution, then do it 
cheerfully knowing very well that if you suffer for him you are only being honored then also god may be calling you to a special kind of work not just to keep his commandments now which we all must do and we will face whatever we will face the consequences of doing that but god may be calling you to a special work like he called mark and it may take some qualities that you do not have just yet hold on and the lord will give you strength and you will be able to do that which you couldn't do at the beginning look at timothy and mark they were the same people timothy also was not a knowledgeable person but he grew as he went with Paul. He was trained. He learned to bear affliction. He learned to bear persecution. He learned to bear the perils. And also, even though he didn't know the scriptures at the beginning, he was taught by Paul. We have read before how it was that as they used to go along the way, Paul would question Timothy concerning the scriptures and that way he was training Timothy. So don't be intimidated either by your lack of knowledge or by the fact that you grew up soft. And you are not the type who can bear persecution or affliction and lack. Whichever one you are, do not be intimidated. Look at Timothy, look at Mark. They both eventually learned, although Mark took a longer time. But Timothy, he learned. He wasn't intimidated by Paul's great knowledge. Instead, he humbled himself and learned from Paul. Neither was he intimidated by the fact that these men knew how to bear suffering and persecution and he sees himself shaky and he's not able to do it. He learned. Let us learn. So today we are going to look further at the laborers that worked with Paul, especially the man called Demas. But there are other people that I would like to mention so that it can spur us to also do the same thing. There was a man called Epaphras or Epaphroditus. I like that name so much. Not so many people know of him, but he was a fellow laborer with Paul and he did great things. I read now from Colossians 4, from verse 12 to 14, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluted you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he has a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So these are three laborers here, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. And Paul singles out Epaphras as a man who had great zeal in prayer and laboring in prayer for the people whom they have worked for. Again, in Philippians chapter 2, this time writing to the people of Philippi, because here it was the people of Colossae that Paul was saying, Epaphras is praying for you people so much. Even the people of Philippi hear this now. Speaking of them, Paul said, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are are Jesus Christ's. But you know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he had served me in the gospel. That's Timothy now. Then going on, he says, um, Him therefore I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, 
my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick so take note these apostles and ministers they used to get sick Epaphroditus was sick now how how bad was his sickness verse 27 says for indeed he was sick nigh unto death but God had mercy on him and not on him only but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because of the work of Christ he was nigh unto death not regarding his life to supply your lack of service towards me amen Epaphroditus was one who labored for the Lord even in the face of sickness Epaphroditus did not run away from the message from the missionary work he was doing he had followed paul to Colossae. that's why he knew the people in Colossae. he had followed paul to philippi and that's why he knew them and they knew him when they heard he was sick oh they were filled with sorrow paul also was filled with sorrow to the point that he said if epaphroditus had died it would have brought him sorrow upon sorrow but lord healed him he's a worthy example to mention that's epaphroditus and he went back to philippi to labor for them that he will give them greater joy because paul and timothy were not available you know that paul was in different places even timothy was sent to ephesus so again in philemon chapter 1 verse 23 when paul was greeting um philemon he wrote to him there salute thee Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Amen. And then he mentions Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. Epaphroditus had so followed Paul to the point that even he was imprisoned for the faith. It wasn't just Paul. Epaphroditus also was imprisoned. I think at the time even Mark too went as far with Paul and were imprisoned. Paul, when he was taken to Rome, he didn't go alone. These his messengers, they followed him to encourage him. They didn't allow Paul to travel alone to Rome. They followed him there. Epaphroditus went. Luke went because Luke is the one who wrote about all the events that we see in the book of Acts of the Apostles. Now, Luke is another person, another worthy mention of those fellow laborers and fellow soldiers with Paul. Reading from the Spirit of Prophecy, Acts of the Apostles, page 454, paragraph 2, it says, Among Paul's assistants at Rome were many of his former companions and fellow workers. Luke, the beloved physician, who had attended him on the journey to Jerusalem through the two years' imprisonment at Caesarea and upon his perilous voyage to Rome, was with him still. Timothy also ministered to his comfort. Tychicus, a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, stood nobly by the Apostle. Demas and Mark were also with him. Aristarchus and Epaphras were his fellow prisoners. That's Colossians 4 verse 7 to 14. So I want us to be encouraged by these men and how far they went in serving the Lord. And they also, just like Paul, were prisoners. Even Demas and Mark were with Paul as fellow laborers. So having said that, let us look at the man called Demas. We hear Demas mentioned several times. As one who was a fellow laborer with Paul but we realize that even though this is the case 
um, there are some things that we should still take note of. You see, when uh, Epaphras was locked up in prison with Paul, it's something we should really take note of as a real blessing to us to be encouraged by. But it is not all of them who were bearing the persecution. You know, when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he expressed something that showed that some of the laborers were not all pure-minded and free from worldly ambition. He wrote in Philippians 2 verse 20 and 21, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. And then he said, For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Whoever Paul was referring to here, I do not know, but clearly the church was beginning to lose its first love. Some of its members were self-seeking like Judas. Among those who were with Paul, one finally caught the self-seeking spirit. It was Demas. In Paul's final letter writing to Timothy, he said, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9-11, to 11, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Amen. So what happened here? Demas had been choked by the thorns of the cares of this life, the pleasures of sin, and the lust of other things. Like we read yesterday, in the book of Mark 4, reading from verse 1 to 9, Jesus told the parable of the sower who went forth to sow. Some seeds fell on the wayside, others fell on the stony ground, others fell among thorns, and then others fell on the good ground. Yesterday, we looked at those that fell on the stony ground which were choked up, which because they had no roots, they couldn't spring forth, and that represented affliction and persecution. But in the case of Demas, it wasn't necessarily persecution that made him run away. It was the thorns. Reading from Mark chapter 4, verse 7, it says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. What does this mean? In Mark 4, verse 18 to 20, Jesus explained, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Amen. Demas was the one who was choked, not by persecution, but the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things was what intimidated Demas. Whereas Mark was intimidated by persecution and lack and affliction, Demas was intimidated and oppressed by seeing those who had money, those who had wealth, and then he left the gospel. Some of us are like that. When we start to follow Christ and we realize that it is placing us in a position where we are not as wealthy as our fellow brothers, we look at the people we grew up with and we see their life, their dress, their possessions. And when we walk side by side with them and you are looking at your friends who graduated with you from secondary school or from university and many of them are so-called doing well, which is actually poverty like we read, to get that poverty that, that riches that is actually poverty some of us our eyes are blinded by it and then we feel intimidated when walking with our friends we go for some of us go for this um reunions with our friends and then some of them come with their cars and flashy dresses and then because of that we see ourselves not having as much as they have and we are intimidated by their possessions 
Demas was like that. He was intimidated. He was oppressed like we will say. He felt oppressed. Nobody oppressed him. He felt oppressed by the fact that he didn't have this and that and he, get, he got attracted by the things of this world and he forsook the gospel. But is that the case? Is that, should that be the case? Should that be what will happen to us? It depends on what eye you are using to look at this world. The Bible says in the book of 1 John 2 verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life are of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that abideth in the Father abideth forever. There is a way we are to view the things of this world. For that gain that is lost is when we sacrifice our eternal destiny to gain the things of this world. Reading from the Life Sketches of Paul, page 283, paragraph 1, it says, Demas was now a faithful helper of, of the apostle. A few years afterward, however, in the same letter to Timothy, which commends Mark's fidelity, Paul writes, Demas had forsaken me, having loved this present world. For worldly gain, Demas bartered every higher and nobler consideration. How short-sighted, how unwise the exchange. Those who possess only worldly wealth or honor are poor indeed, however much they may proudly call their own. Those who choose to suffer for Christ's sake will win eternal riches. They will be heirs of God and joint heirs with his Son. They may not have on earth a place to lay their heads, but in heaven the Savior whom they love is preparing mansions for them. Many in their pride and ignorance forget that lowly things are mighty. In order to be happy, we must learn self-denial at the foot of the cross. We want no earthly hope so firmly rooted that we cannot transplant it to paradise." End of quote. So we need to see things through the eye of faith that will make us understand that we have mansions in heaven even while it looks like we have no place to lay our head on this earth. The Lord is preparing mansions for us. The same life that our Lord lived on this earth is the life that we may have to live. We may not be as wealthy as the rest of the world, but in Christ we have all riches. For he that owns Christ has everything there is to own. But he that doesn't have Christ has lost everything. It is for this reason that Jesus asked the question, what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? That is not riches, but that is poverty. Like we saw, those who possess only worldly wealth or honor are poor indeed. So who is it that is rich? It is he who has Christ. Continuing the reading, it says, Paul was not alone. This is page 284, paragraph 1 of the same um, life sketches of Paul. Paul was not alone in the trials which he endured from the love of ease and desire for worldly gain in his professed brethren. His experience is still shared by the faithful servants of Christ. Many, even of those who profess to believe the solemn truths for this time, feel but little moral responsibility. When they see that the path of duty is beset with perplexities and trials, they choose a way for themselves, where there is less effort needed, where there are fewer risks to run, fewer dangers to meet. By selfishly shunning responsibilities, they increase the burdens of the faithful workers and at the same time separate themselves from God and forfeit the reward they might have won. Oh my! 
all who will work earnestly and disinterestedly in his love and fear, God will make co-laborers with himself. Christ has hired them at the price of his own blood, the pledge of an eternal weight of glory. Of every one of his followers, he requires efforts that shall in some degree correspond with the price paid and the infinite reward offered." End of quote. See, this is the truth. Heaven is going to be secured by us paying a price that is equal to the reward that we are going to receive. We must be ready to put forth effort that can measure with the reward that we hope to receive. Look at what we read just now. There are some people who choose an easier path. They look at the journey, they look at the work that needs to be done. And when they see that this path is beset with perplexities, oh, if I follow this brother on this lifestyle as his friend and join him for this missionary effort, there's so much perplexity and trial. So rather, I would choose to follow another person where it's going to be easy. The evangelism, the missionary effort is going to be the easy type, where there's less effort needed, where there are fewer risks to run and fewer, danger, fewer dangers to meet. But do you know what is going on? If God calls you for a work and you are measuring in your mind which one is easier than the other, listen to what we read. It says, by selfishly. Because you are being selfish, you are thinking of yourself. When you shun responsibility selfishly, you are increasing the burden of God of your fellow workers. And who are you doing it unto actually? As long as you do it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you are doing it unto me. And at the same time, that's not where it ends. It says, they separate themselves from God and forfeit the reward they might have won. Do you understand what's going on? These are not people who completely neglect the truth. These are not people who completely neglect the missionary work, but these are people who choose missionary work based on which one is more convenient, based on which one is going to be less risky, based on which one has fewer burdens and fewer risks and fewer dangers and less effort. When you choose it based on that kind of selfish mindset, you are making the work harder for God's laborers and then you may be very well separating yourself from God because it is in uniting with Christ in labor that you unite yourself with him but if you run away from from the labor because you see the responsibilities and the risks that are on there and the dangers that are to be met then you separate yourself from God I emphasize this because I believe that the Lord is bringing this to my mind at this very time because recently and in times past I have seen people do that. I know of people who would say, oh, I will not get close to this brother because I know that I'm going to run a greater risk, his lifestyle, I know it is good, but if I follow him for this missionary effort, oh my, it's going to cause great risks for me and I cannot bear it. And I still know of those who would say, if I marry this brother or I marry this sister, this person is a missionary, I will be put to a very hard situation where I will need to face so much dangers, so much afflictions because I see how this sister or this brother is always involved in this work or that work. I don't think I can meet up. I would rather marry somebody else who I know that will have an easy life. I won't marry someone who I know his life is going to cause me to be put to risk and put to dangers and I will need to put on so much effort to know the truth and to always support like Mark was doing and to always help out in the work. I don't want to do that. It's causing me much trouble. I am not going to 
hazard myself neither do i want to put myself to such a great risk that i will call out from me such work that i am not willing to give besides somebody may say i'm like mark i don't see myself the ability to do this who who has the ability no one has it we all depend on god to do the work there's nobody that has it in himself so if you run away from responsibility if you run away from following your friends for a missionary work if you run away from someone who says oh maybe you they want to marry you or something and you feel in your mind you are considering if i marry this person i'm going to suffer can't you see he's a missionary oh my i don't want to if that is what you are considering in your mind that is exactly what the lord is saying selfishness selfishly shunning responsibilities do you understand what you are doing fellow laborer do you understand that you are increasing the burdens of your fellow workers and who is that your fellow worker as long as you do it unto the one of the least of these my brethren you are doing it unto me and at the same time worse still you are separating yourself from god who knows whether this this particular path is the only way that the lord has laid down for your own soul to be saved and you are running away from it see you need to we all need to consider properly the decisions we've made and do not selfishly consider things in your mind and make decisions based on how you think it's going to be easy for you we must be careful now speaking of demas and what made him to live it was the cares of this world the lust of other things the deceitfulness of riches and we need to really deal with that how do we understand this reading from christ object lessons page 50 paragraph 3 he says the gospel seed often falls among thorns and no excuse weeds and if there is not moral transformation in the human heart if old habits and practices and the former life of sin are not left behind if the attributes of satan are not expelled from the soul the wheat crop will be choked the thorns will come to be the crop and will kill out the wheat grace can thrive only in the heart that is being constantly prepared for the precious seeds of truth the thorns of sin will grow in any soil they need no cultivation but grace must be carefully cultivated the briars and thorns are always ready to spring up and the work of purification must advance continually if the heart is not kept under the control of god if the holy spirit does not work unceasingly to refine and ennoble the character the old habits will reveal themselves in the life men may profess to believe the gospel but unless they are sanctified by the gospel their profession is of no avail if they do not gain the victory over sin then sin is gaining the victory over them the thorns that have been cut off but not uprooted grow apace until the soul is overspread with them and going on to page 51 paragraph 2 to explain the different things the care different things the cares of this world and lost of other things we are told the cares of this world no class is free from the temptation of worldly care to the poor toil and deprivation and the fear of want bring perplexities and burdens to the rich come fear of loss and the multitude of anxious cares many of christ's followers forget the lesson he has bidden us learn from the flowers of the field they do not trust to his constant care Christ cannot carry their burden because they do not cast it upon him. Therefore, the cares of, the, of life, which should drive them to the Savior for help and comfort, separate them from him. Many who might be fruitful in God's service become bent on acquiring wealth. Their whole energy is absorbed in business enterprises and they feel obliged to neglect things of a spiritual nature. 
Thus, they separate themselves from God. We are enjoined in the scriptures to be not slothful in business, Romans 12 verse 11. We are to labor that we may impart to him that needs. Christians must work. They must engage in business and they can do this without committing sin. But many become so absorbed in business that they have no time for prayer, no time for the study of the Bible, no time to seek and serve God. At times, the longings of the soul go out for holiness and heaven, but there is no time to turn aside from the dean of the world to listen to the majestic and authoritative utterances of the Spirit of God. The things of eternity are made subordinate, the things of the world supreme. It is impossible for the seed of the word to bring forth fruit. For the life of the soul is given to nourish the thorns of worldliness and the lust of other things. These are not necessarily things sinful in themselves, but something that is made first instead of the kingdom of God. Whatever attracts the mind from God, whatever draws the affections away from Christ is an enemy to the soul. End of quote. So, from what we have read, a lesson we can draw from there is this. The cares of this world are there for all of us to bother ourselves about. We must meet our needs. Yes, we must eat, we must have shelter, and we must take care of the basic necessities of life. But we are not to allow these cares to drive us away from God. Rather, when we see the cares that are upon us, that we need to eat, we need to have a place to lay our heads, we need clothes to wear, yes. But Jesus has already told us, do not place yourselves in a worry about these things. Do not worry about these things. The Lord knows that you have need of them. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Do not let them drive you away from God. We must walk, but yes, walk with temperance and have time for spiritual things. Be careful lest ambition, lest a desire to gain the things of this world, lest you feel intimidated by your brothers, by your friends, by your relatives' wealth, and because of that, you are motivated to join them in working to meet up with their kind of lifestyle and keep up with the Joneses and the Smiths. This is what Jesus gives us as a cure to these cares. It is that we should seek first the kingdom of God, and Jesus knows our needs and he will take care of it. Continuing the reading in Christ Subject Lessons, this time page 53, paragraph 3 and down what we are told. When the mind is youthful and vigorous and susceptible of rapid development, there is great temptation to be ambitious for self, to serve self. If worldly schemes are successful, there is an inclination to continue in a line that deadens conscience and prevents a correct estimate as to what constitutes real excellence of character. When circumstances favor this development, growth will be seen in a direction prohibited by the word of God. In this formative period, that's during the youth of the children's life, the responsibility of parents is very great. It should be their study to surround the youth with right influences, influences that will give them correct views of life and its true success. Instead of this, how many parents make it their first object to secure for their children worldly prosperity? All their associations are chosen with reference to this object. Many parents make their home in some large city and introduce their children into a fashionable society. They surround them with influences that encourage worldliness and pride. 
In this atmosphere, the mind and soul are dwarfed, the high and noble aims of life are lost sight of, the privilege of being sons of God, heirs of eternity is bartered for worldly gain. Many parents seek to promote the happiness of their children by gratifying their love of amusement. They allow them to engage in sports and to attend parties of pleasure and provide them with money to use freely in display and self-gratification. The more the desire for pleasure is indulged, the stronger it becomes. The interest of these youth is more and more absorbed in amusement until they come to look upon it as the great object of life. They form habits of idleness and self-indulgence that make it almost impossible for them ever to become steadfast Christians. Now, yeah, even the church, which should be the pillar and ground of truth, is found encouraging the selfish love of pleasure when money is to be raised for religious purposes to what means do many churches resort to bazaars suppers fancy fairs even to lotteries and like devices often the place set apart for god's worship is desecrated by feasting and drinking buying selling and merrymaking Respect for the house of God and reverence for his worship are lessened in the minds of the youth. The barriers of self-restraint are weakened. Selfishness, appetite, the love of display are appealed to and they strengthen as they are indulged. The pursuit of pleasure and amusement centers in the cities. Many parents who choose a city home for their children, thinking to give them greater advantages, meet with disappointment and too late, repent their terrible mistake. The cities of today are fast becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. The many holidays encourage idleness. The exciting sports, theater going, horse racing, gambling, liquor drinking and reveling stimulate every passion to intense activity. The youth are swept away by the popular current. Those who learn to love amusements for its own sake open the door to a flood of temptations. They give themselves up to social gaiety and thoughtless mirth, and their intercourse with pleasure lovers has an intoxicating effect upon the mind. They are led on from one form of dissipation to another until they lose both the desire and the capacity for a life of usefulness. Their religious aspirations are chilled. Their spiritual life is darkened. All the nobler faculties of the soul, all that link man with spirit, the spiritual world are debased. So what I've read so far is an explanation of how the cares of this life, the pleasures of sin and the deceitfulness of riches destroy the soul, especially of children. And what we have been reading so far focusing on the relationship between parents and their children is very important. Many parents see their children as money-making machine or they see them as a trophy that they are going to display to their friends. Where is your child? Oh, my child is a doctor now. Oh, my child is a lawyer. Oh, my child is an engineer. They don't ask answer questions concerning their children in a spiritual way. Where is your child? All they think about is the temporal state of the child. But whether the child is making it to the kingdom of God, no one is concerned. From youths, from the time they are youths and teenagers, they are always choosing their friends for them, choosing their associations for them, and focusing in, in such a way that promotes worldliness and promotes ambition. If you hear it in the schools and in the churches today, like even how I grew up, what is most, mostly focused on is, what is where are you now? In school, have you gotten admission? How have you graduated? That's what people are focusing on. But what parents should focus on in a child at that youth stage or teenage is their spiritual life. 
If I could say something again to the youth, I will repeat what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Do not place yourself in such an ambition to gain wealth. For some people in their early 20s, late teenage, they are already looking for how to make so much money. Parents are even fueling it. Pushing them, telling them, look at your brother, look at this, your friend. Is it not him that is here? Is it not him that is there? Comparing them with their friends who are ambitious for worldly things and making their child to think that if they must be anything, what the parents appreciate is only their advancements in worldly things. How many of the parents commend their children for honesty? How many parents commend their children for truthfulness, for being faithful to the word of God? How many parents give the impression to their children that what they prize mostly is the spirit, the fruits of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, meekness? Do you make your child to understand? that that is what you love when you buy presents and gifts for your children because they had this grade in school or that grade in school and that position you are giving them the impression that that is what is important do you reward them do you encourage them at least or do you praise them at least for doing what is right for displaying the fruit of the spirit in their life when you don't do that you give the impression to the child that what is most important in life is money parents we need to change our manner of training our children and give them the impression that there is nothing more important than to gain eternity, eternal life, and to be in the kingdom of God, that anything earthly is secondary. Make the kingdom of God to be primary in the life of the child. And if we have done what we just read now, making taking our children to the cities and they are involved in liquor drinking, sports, theater going, just because we wanted them to be wealthy people and we did this or we've done a very wrong thing for them continuing where i was reading now it says in christ subject lessons page 55 paragraph one and two it is true that some of these children some children may see their folly and repent god may pardon them but they have wounded their own souls and brought upon themselves a lifelong peril the power of discernment which ought ever to be kept keen and sensitive to distinguish between right and wrong is in a great measure destroyed they are not quick to recognize the guiding voice of the holy spirit or to discern the devices of satan too often in time of danger they fall under temptation and are led away from god the end of their pleasure loving life is ruin for this world and for the world to come cares riches pleasures all are used by satan in playing the game of life for the human soul the warning is given love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world first john 2 verse 15 and 16 he who reads the hearts of men as an open book says take heed to yourself lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life luke 21 verse 34 and the apostle paul by the holy spirit writes they that will be rich 
fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 and 10. End of quote. Brothers and sisters, we have before us the life of Demas to warn us not to make the same mistake he made in going after this present world. And we have the life of Mark before us to encourage us that if you have forsaken the right way before, we should come back. And the Lord can give you grace and you can grow like Mark. You may have come from a soft family that you have affluence and you are not used to affliction. The Lord can train you the way he trained Mark. You may have come from a family that did not know lack but the Lord is calling you to do a missionary work for him that will need you to endure affliction and persecution and privation and peril. Do not be afraid. The Lord can equip you with all qualities needed for such a work. Follow the Lord and it shall be well with you. Let us pray. Dear loving Father in heaven, I pray Lord for every one of us. Have we forsaken or chosen selfishly the kind of missionary work we want to do, Lord, forgive us. I pray for those who are in a state now to think of the kind of decisions they should make in working for you. I pray, Father, that we shall be willing to suffer for you just as you suffered for us. Forgive us for the times we've run away from responsibilities because of the dangers and the risks and the kind of work that would have been needed for us to do. Forgive us, Lord, for selfishly doing this. Help us, Lord, to be equipped with the right qualities needed to work for you. You have told us that if we seek first the kingdom of God, you will take care of all other things for us. Inspire in us a faith and trust that will help us to do what you have said we should do in seeking first the kingdom of God. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers and thank you for answering. Please, Lord, is there someone out there who is considering what kind of work they should do for you? or have forsaken the way, or the cares of this life is already trying to push them away from you, please touch such a heart right now and help them to endure. Help them to endure hardness. Are there some who have been intimidated by their family members or their friends? Lord, fortify such a soul and immunize them from the ridicule and mockery and the intimidation that they feel. But help them, Lord, to be strong. To realize that what they have is greater riches than whatever their friends and family has and help us lord to stand tall and not be ashamed of the condition we find ourselves in because of the gospel help us lord not to run away from our friends because we think they have more worldly wealth than ourselves but help us lord to meet them and stand firmly not being ashamed by any means because we know that what we have is greater than what they have do this for us, O oh Lord, and take the glory in Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. <music>